they're going to be the ones that carry our country into its future and define uh, what it's going to be. So we need to train some leaders and we need to train some thick skinned, tough people who can go out there and get stung and get their eyes water and, and compete and, and go dig in and, and fight the fight. We're up 40 points in the fourth quarter and player 59 and 60 go in the game. They feel just as loved or just as important that they're going to go in and get their reps and their, their playing time now. And, and our other players are expected to watch them and make them feel good about it. You know, they've grown up like you talked about, Max, in Westland youth football since third or fourth grade, going for this one moment to chase a championship, to win a ring, to win a blue trophy, to create that lifetime memory. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the High School Coaches Club, episode 11. I'm your host, Max Price. In today's edition of the club, I welcome on Chris Miller from West Lynn High School right here in Oregon, where Miller is a sports legend. He played for the Oregon Ducks from 1983 to 86 and became the 13th overall pick in the 1987 NFL Draft, where he went on to play quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons, the LA Slash St. Louis Rams, and the Denver Broncos, even making the Pro Bowl in 1991. After hanging it up, he went on to coach at the high school level right here in Oregon. And then in between there, he's also coached some NFL football and even in the XFL. So without further ado, let me welcome on Chris Miller from West Lynn High School. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. I I, I wanted to start with this. Your NFL career was sh- uh, you know cut short after 1995. Uh, and it was cut short due to concussions. At one point, you had something like five and 14 months or just something crazy to think of in today's world, especially. Back then, you played through them. You know, it was kind of seen as a source of strength by people to to play through concussions. Um, your coach at the time, Rich, Rich Brooks, who was your coach at Oregon and then again with the Rams, he said, I think concussions are a little overrated. People in the game also <laughs> have knee injuries. They have shoulder problems. I think concussions have been made bigger than life. And then a, a running back teammate of yours, Ron Wolfley, said at the time about you specifically, he said, my belief on concussion is you get whacked over the head enough and your leaking cerebral fluid thickens into a shell that protects your brain. Miller's <laughs> problem is that he has not been hit in the head enough. Uh, and so we've, we've, we've come a long way from then, right? We, uh, I mean, obviously, we know a lot more now than we know then. And we're not here to judge what they said is different times. We know we know more than we knew then, uh, of course. So now we're we've we've kind of gone and gone way the other direction, right? First, back then it was like get back on the field, you're fine. Now it's like I don't even want my kid playing football. So what would you say right now to a parent who's not really sure? Maybe they have a young kid thinking about playing football. They're not really sure if they want their kid playing. They're kind of scared of concussions. What would you say to that parent? Well, I think football's never been in a safer place ever. Uh, I think uh, coupled together with uh, soccer and cheerleading, I think they had more concussions than we had at Westland High School in football. So I think the return to play policies are phenomenal now based from, you know, myself and Merrill Hodge and Al Toon and Troy Aikman and Steve Young and all of us guinea pigs back in the day, if you will. <laughs> You know, concussion uh, studies and knowledge and, and research wasn't near what it is today. So I would say, you know, hey, if your son or daughter or whoever wants to play football or contact sports, they should. Uh, because in my opinion, you know, football is the greatest sports in terms of life experience, uh, learning life lessons, teamwork, facing adversity, you know, getting hit in the mouth and having to get back up and go get some more and, and learn how to deal with competition and, and tough competition. So 
you know, football helmets are fantastic. Now the research on helmets is, is awesome. But I think the main thing that's really changed is the return to play policies. We haven't had a uh, repeat concussion uh, since I've been at West Lynn. And we only had four a couple of years ago out of about 118, 120 kids. So, you know, we've done a good job with that. And I, I think the game is as safe as it's ever been, especially with the rules and hits on quarterbacks or, you know, not hitting defenseless players or, or blindside blocks or shots to the head. So uh, I would definitely advise parents to let their kids play. Yeah, I asked I asked that kind of selfishly because uh my wife and I we we had our first son. He's 16 months old now. And I, I coach baseball and I try to get him to really like baseball by showing him baseball on TV and he could really go either way. <laughs> but I, I kid you not, from the time he was eight months old, if there was a Ducks game on TV or any football game from then on, you can't get him to look elsewhere and he'll just walk around the house at now just saying football. Uh, it doesn't sound quite right, but he just walked in. My wife is like, oh, no, I can't have him playing football. I'm like, no, it's actually safer than it's probably ever been ever right now. Yeah. Well, football is something, you know, you guys can grab a football and go throw it around in the backyard, which is nice. And uh, of course, you can do that with baseball as well. But, you know, I think kids nowadays are developing more in some flag football and, and they've got uh, alternative rule football for younger folks where they're not, you know, hitting or there's not as much contact as kids are developing their brains and their their heads and their bodies and such. And then those that want to jump in early can jump in, you know, when they're five and six years old and pop Warner or some of the youth football leagues. So, um, you know, baseball, I played baseball. I was drafted by uh, the Toronto Blue Jays and Seattle Mariners in baseball. So I was a baseball guy as well and loved it. But football is so much more exciting to play, to be a part of, um, and to watch, frankly. I mean, I love watching playoff Major League Baseball, but regular season baseball is a bit of a yawner. But uh, so I understand why your son uh, likes it so much. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I've always, uh, of any sport, if I'm going to have to sit down and watch, and I, I baseball through and through, but there's just something about football, especially college football for me that I just, I really enjoy. Yeah, the atmosphere is incre incredible, game days, the traditions, you know, I mean, it just, it drives America, it really does. Absolutely. So let's dive into that. I wanted to give you a chance and you've, I mean, you've obviously been around football your whole life. I mean, you've made a, you've made a life out of this thing, which is really cool. Can you take us back and just kind of run us through from your time at Sheldon High School and then where you are now and how how you got from there to here? You know, it's ironic. I, I Basketball is my favorite sport. I absolutely loved basketball growing up, and I enjoyed baseball. And third was uh, probably football. So um, I remember we lost in the state quarterfinals my senior year in football, and I couldn't wait to go play basketball the next day. And I kind of tweaked my knee the night before in football and went in the uh, partially tore my ACL down at Matt court going up for a slam dunk and kind of landed funny on it and missed the majority of my senior year in basketball. So I ended up signing a football scholarship and ended up playing minor league baseball for the Seattle Mariners. So, you know, my favorite sport kind of fell by the wayside and, and then football kind of took over from there. But so I went to university of Oregon, stayed home, you know, had a good career. There was first team all pack 10, a couple of years. And it was a first round draft pick for the Atlanta Falcons. And, and, uh, you know, my, my career was kind of on an ascension until I uh, had a couple knee injuries and went to a Pro Bowl and was voted in another Pro Bowl and had a couple knee injuries and got back healthy, then started uh, banging my head on the hard AstroTurf back in the day and, and getting concussions. So, you know, football wasn't going to be my life and it wasn't going to be my, you know, life's passion maybe. But then, you know, as time has gone by and as I learned from the Rich Brookses of the world and the June Joneses of the world and Mike Shanahan and Gary Kubiak and some of the coaches that I've had, you know, and then the aspect of teaching and, and uh, you know, 
impacting high school age athletes has just really grown on me. And I absolutely love it. I, I love the purity of Friday night lights and Friday night football and the ability to kind of craft and mold and mentor and be a good role model and teach the fundamentals of the game of football. And so I've fallen into it. Like you said, you know, football is going to be a lifer thing for me. I coached in the XFL pro football league last spring before it was shut down due to COVID and really enjoyed that. So hopefully that's going to come back in 2022 and, and then I'll coach at Westland high school and high school. And I think I'll have kind of a, a win-win situation around football. Could you give us the rundown on Westland? I mean, you were at, you were at South Eugene first, then, went off to the NFL for a while. Then you went to Westland after that. Then the XFL thing came along and COVID like it did for all of us kind of threw our lives for a loop. And now you're, yeah. you're back at Westland. For those who maybe they're living on the other side of the country, they don't know anything about Westland. What would you kind of tell them? Well, I think Westland was a program that to, before I had got there, they had gone, let me see, they were eight and 14, I think. And, and they had good talent. I watched some of their games on on tape when I, was exploring the job. So they were just kind of struggling. And, you know, it was a very affluent area and a, and a good TRL three rivers league conference up here in Oregon. And, you know, I had just coached in the national football league for three years with the Arizona Cardinals as a quarterback coach and learned a lot of tremendous football there and learned some great football from Mike Shanahan and Gary Kubiak, you know, when I played for them in the late nineties. So, um, and two former teammates of mine from Oregon, Bobby to Bishop and Johnny Coppage, uh, had had boys at Westland High School. So they kind of reached out to me when the job came open. And I told them no at first, but after I did some more research and looked into it and talked to my wife, Lori, about it and went up and toured the school, it just felt right. You know, it felt good. So uh, our first year there, we went nine and three with a bunch of sophomores and, and uh, made the state quarterfinals. And then the following year, we lost in the state championship to Jesuit 21-14. And then in 2016, we uh, beat Central Catholic in the state championship 62-7. to So we kind of had a, a great three-year run there. And then the last couple of years, the last three years, we made it to the quarterfinals with some smaller senior classes. So uh, we've got a great senior class coming back this year. We're hoping that we get to uh, have a football season this winter and spring and, uh, and continue on. But this will be my seventh year there. And, you know, it's a great area. I've got a great coaching staff with some former NFL players, Anthony Newman and Alex Molden on my staff. And like I mentioned before, coaching high school kids is awesome. So I just love it. I remember watching that uh, state championship game and we're talking, this is the biggest division of high school football in Oregon state title games. So you've got, you know, theoretically the two top teams in the state and <laughs> no offense to anybody else, but you guys, I mean, you throttled another team and it was just like, you don't see, you don't see that in the regular season usually. And then to see it in the playoffs, let alone a state championship game was, was insane. So you guys uh, have won a lot of games, you know, and you've yeah. been pretty good. Our guys were so they were so focused, and oh man, and we just almost had one of those perfect days, man. It was it was a lot of fun. I, I could imagine it would be a ton of fun, especially to be a, a teenage boy. I can just imagine myself as a teenage boy winning a state title game and then winning it by that many points. You would just feel like you'd be on cloud nine. You'd feel you'd feel masterful. And if yeah. you're a, if you're an underclassman heading into the, in future years, how do you? I guess how do you get guys like that who? Coming off a state championship, you win by you know a million points, by far the best team that day and that year. How do you get underclassmen the next year to come back with the same fire, understanding that you know they're going to have to put in all this work to get back there? Doesn't you don't just you don't just you don't win it and then okay next year you get to be back there again. How do you get kids to focus like that? 
Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Max. You know, 6A football in the state of Oregon is very competitive, you know, with the Central Catholics and the Jesuits, the private schools and Lake Oswego and Clackamas and Tigard and, you know, I can go on and on. But uh, so you got to tee it up every year. And really, there's a strength in numbers. What we've kind of found is if you have, you know, a talented senior class of 25 or 30 or more kids, those seem to kind of be the magic combination to make those state championship runs. And the two years after that state championship, we had uh, like 13 and 14 seniors. So we kind of went down to smaller classes. So we needed those underclassmen to kind of step in and fill an important role. And, and uh, you know, we made it to the quarterfinals the last couple of years and, and we just couldn't quite get over the hump. We lost to the state championships, uh, state champions, both of the last two years by a touchdown. So, I mean, we were competitive, but you know, they were probably better than we were and beat us eight or nine out of 10 times. So um, the future is bright at Westland. I think the youth programs, there's big numbers in the youth programs, around 200 kids. And and we'll be about 110, 115 kids for our program this year, which is still solid numbers. I think our peak was about 118 and 120. And the first year I got here, we were about 94 kids. So we're kind of holding holding our own in, in the numbers. So, but yeah, those underclassmen definitely you know, they had good role models and good examples of how to do it and how to go about it. So we've got a bunch of self-starters and kids that, you know, are self-motivated and uh, we just kind of have to show them the way. How do you build leadership in players like that? So you have seniors who, seniors come in all shapes and sizes, as you you know, I'm sure some are, uh, you know, by, by the time you get to that point, some are natural leaders, some have become leaders over time and others, there's, there's that third category of player where you have to kind of help them become leaders yeah. What have you done in your career, uh, you know, as a coach, maybe even reflecting back as a player, what do you do with high school kids that fit in that third group where they're maybe they're not leaders, but you know, your, your, your program's going to be better served if they were, and they'll be better served in their life too, if they are a leader. How have you, how do you, have you found ways to kind of build leadership qualities into guys who maybe don't have it already? Well, I think that's a that's a really good question. I think um, you have to put them in in positions of leadership, you know, um, whether it's a small thing, whether, hey, you got the ball bag every day. I'm counting on you to take this thing out there or whether it's you're going out for the coin toss on Friday nights and you're going to be my decision maker, whether we want to kick, whether we want to receive. Um, it may be on a uh, inner circle leadership meeting that we have on Wednesdays where we have representatives from all four classes who are in there. And, and then it's those, then you have those natural born leaders who just kind of take it over and, and do it naturally. But I think as we know, the best teams are player led teams. So, you know, I think as, as long as we can put, you know, everybody needs to feel valued and everybody needs to feel relevant. Uh, so as long as we can find kind of a leadership role or a role on the team that everybody has some self-worth and self-value, then I think you're, you're, uh, you know, you're serving the purpose of, of creating leadership opportunities for those kids. Now, some are very apprehensive and some are very quiet and are crickets and, and want to shy away from that. And that's fine, too. You know, there's got to be chiefs and there's got to be Indians. So but, uh, you know, we, we try to put the kids in opportunities to where they have different different ways they can lead, different assignments they can do. Everybody's valued on the team when player when player when we're up 40 points in the fourth quarter and player 59 and 60 go in the game. They feel just as loved or just as important that they're going to go in and get their reps and their their playing time now. And and our other players are expected to watch them and make them feel good about it. So we try to come at it in different directions. That's something that I've learned that a handful of coaches have mentioned in a number of different ways that you just kind of mentioned, which was 
when you're, you know, whether you're winning by 30 or winning, you know, losing by 30, um, coaching kids and valuing them the same, whether, you know, it's a close game or not, is really important. What you just mentioned, you know, the idea of, of a kid who's, you know, some random, you know, guy, he's not necessarily a starter. He's going in and mop up duty sort of a situation. And the importance of as, as a coaching staff and then, you know, as teammates as well, making sure that that kid feels like the, he's going in right now to do a job. We have a, a job to do. We're not going to stop coaching you. We're not going to stop playing hard. That can be a really difficult thing for some kids to grasp, right? You know, yeah. we're up by four, we're up by forty points. Let's you know turn the gas off. Oh, backups are going in now. Let's relax. <laughs> I think uh, a huge part of coaching is is teaching kids to maintain that level of intensity even when you're up by forty, or if you find yourself on the opposite end, right down by forty. Yeah, I think that's that selfless uh, servant mentality or leadership. You know, some of those. Some of those kids are realistic and they, they know that they might not have that much talent or they're not that skilled. But, man, is it important that they're a part of a team? You know, they just love being a part of a team and, and they're highly valued. So uh, and sometimes the, the greatest moments during the season or in a game are when those guys go in and they make a tackle or they get a sack or a tackle for loss or they get a catch or they score a touchdown or, or whatever. And, and some of those guys who may not be the most gifted or talented, they're the ones that show up to every single workout every summer workout, they're there on time, they're there early, they're asking you, hey, coach, what can I do for you today? And, you know, those kids are leaders in their own way. So, you know, everybody holds value on a team. And, you know, I think it's really important that the the star all-state players value those guys who might not be very talented because they may be a heck of a lot smarter than in the classroom or they may be better at something else uh, along the way. So it's important to kind of recognize everybody's different strengths and, you know, make sure those those kids feel just as valued. Yeah, I can't remember where I heard it, but there's a, a saying that I, I read once that was something on lines of like the the greatest or most addictive drug in in the world is acceptance. And everybody just mm. want to be accepted. And I think yeah. some of the best moments I've had as a coach have been kind of what you were just talking about, where it's like you have a player who maybe he's not the most talented, you know, baseball player or in your case, football player, but you put him in a position in a game where he might just have some success. And then my gosh, he has some. And at those moments, you almost remember more than individual, you know, victories on the field. Like it just, there's something really special about that, that helps young men see, see other young men who put in all that time that they did. Maybe they're not talented they're as talented, but they put in that time and they get, when they see that reward, it's just, it's a really special moment for young kids. Yeah, it's really cool. We had this kid named uh, Andy Espinoza Hayward and, and Tyler Schultz. We called Andy uh, Espy, E-S-P-Y like ESPN or whatever, but you know, those guys went in, in playoff games late and, and regular season games. I remember T Schultz got a couple tackles for losses and we have a big poster in our locker room when we won the state championship of all the kids just in a picture celebrating with these amazing smiles and Andy Espinosa uh, Hayward who got in late in games, he's got the most satisfied, exciting, amazing look on his face. And I just, it makes me tear up when I see it because I know, you know, he didn't impact the game in a significant way or whatever, but that moment in his life impacted him for the rest of his life. So, you know, those are those are the reasons why we coach and why we compete. Absolutely. Uh, Coach, there's something you mentioned a, a few minutes ago, and I need to I've got to know more about it. Can you can you tell me about the inner circle? Yeah, so it's like a leadership team. We just call it the inner circle. So we'll have a, a, a decent amount of seniors and juniors and maybe four freshmen and four or five sophomores on there. So 
like Wednesday, every Wednesday at 3.30, we would meet before practice. And it's really just kind of a leadership team, a leadership group. It may it may have some of the team captains on it, but you're limited with team captains on Friday nights. So you want to get kind of leaders within each class, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior classes. And we meet on Wednesdays. And it's a good way to kind of keep the pulse on, on the team. You know, hey, who's getting in trouble? Who might be struggling with at home with some home life? Who might be struggling with smoking marijuana, drinking? Um, you know, who needs a little lift, who's doing awesome, who did something great in class or on a test or, uh, has a new girlfriend, whatever it might be. So we kind of talk about everything. It's really about family and life in there and kind of what we talk about stays in there, but it's really just a way to kind of keep a pulse on the team and make sure we, uh, you know, nobody's falling through the cracks. It's always amazed me because so for like for local baseball here in Oregon, we're our rosters probably all in. We're probably anywhere from 40 to 50 players, uh, you know, ac- across all three teams. But yeah. there's two things that amaze me. One is track and field, how they organize, you know, anywhere from 150 to 250 kids. The second is football for a lot of reasons. But the amount of the amount of players within a program, what you're doing with the inner circle, I've never heard of it put that way. You know, a support system, you're asking about who's falling through the cracks because it's always baffled me. I have enough trouble with, you know, 50 guys. And like, even then, sometimes I feel like, man, am I missing out on some kids in our program? Or, you know, am I, do I know enough about them? Do I know if they're falling through the cracks? The inner circle idea for a program the size that you run makes so much sense. I appreciate that. Yeah, we've had, uh, you know, we've had good success with it. And then we'll get, you know, we'll, we'll get some kids in there too that might not be those main leaders, but we call on them. So we're in that meeting. They got to stand up and they got to speak and they got to represent themselves. And, you know, so it gives them an opportunity to, to, to grow, maybe to become a little bit more of a leader, to get outside their comfort zone. And, and, uh, and we'll put them on front street too. You know, if they're doing something faulty or struggling or they're doing something, you know, on social media, funny with their girlfriend or whatever, we'll make sure we embarrass them too. So, you also grow some thick skin in that inside that group, but it definitely is beneficial, and I highly recommend it. It's it's so cool. I, I really like the just the you know the idea of a kid is struggling with anything in his life. The kids are going to know each other, and they're going to know that that's happening. Super easy for them to bring that to you, and then as as adults, we can we can figure out the best course of action. You know, getting counselors involved or ourselves involved or whatever it is. But exactly. God, it's, it's it's so smart. It makes so much sense. It kind of builds into a culture of, like I said, just building community within a program that's so big and just can seem so daunting, especially to people on the outside. Yeah, exactly. So that kind of goes through like maintaining, con- not control, but like quality control over the different levels of, of programs. And uh, it's a big question, but how, how do you as a football coach find people to coach not only in your high school program, but in your youth programs that you that you trust, that you know will run your systems, that you know will come to you when there's an issue that that part to me is also so amazing because in baseball I've got I've got a small crew and it's easy it's easy to oversee kind of in in some ways but in football you I mean you're putting a a tremendous amount of trust in a lot of guys yeah that's a that's a good question I'd start with youth when I first got to Westland I think there were about 240 or 250 kids in their youth program third grade to eighth grade so they had a well-oiled machine in place and I wasn't about to throw a wrench in the spoke so I just I really just kind of set back and, and let them operate. You know, I had a coaches meeting with all the coaches to talk some X and O's. I uh, had one of those meetings, but, you know, they had some very good coaches in place, some guys that I knew that had college football experience. So I'm like, I'm just not going to go throw my, 
two cents in with that. It's a well-oiled machine. Let me let it run. And, and then on the high school level, um, you know, I actually had my son was my freshman head coach for three years and he put together a really good staff. And so I just kind of entrusted them and gave them the autonomy to go operate and work. And uh, while I needed to focus on our JV and especially our varsity, especially in my first year there when it was new and I wasn't hired till April, you know, I had a lot of work to do. So, um, but now we generally run about 22 to 24 coaches for varsity, JV and freshmen. So I have a lot of eyes on, on all our guys. Uh, you know, we have two or three O-line coaches, so it's important to have that many eyes on O-line. And I have two defensive back coaches, two wide receiver coaches, and generally those are the, the highest number of kids. So we like to have more eyes on there so we know they're getting coached well. So, but uh, I think the main thing is you, you hire coaches, you kind of give them, uh, you know, your, your agenda, uh, what your goals are as a head coach for the program, and then you give the, them the autonomy to work. So that's kind of how I function. I'm not a, uh, I'm not a mastermind guy or I'm not a uh, bird dogger. I, I, you know, I'll keep an eye on them and such, but I, I don't uh, what's the word I'm looking for. I'm not a, uh, a power trip guy or a, a micromanager you know, I like to, they're good coaches. They know football well. So if I see something, I'll throw it out there. And obviously from an offensive standpoint, X and O's, you know, I want them running my stuff, but I'm like, Hey, if there's things that you like schemes, you like things you've had success with uh, things that fit your personnel, uh, that may be a little bit different than what I'm doing on varsity, then go ahead and put in 25% of stuff that you like. Just make sure you're using our verbiage along with it. Uh, what we did too, this might help uh, some folks out there who are listening, but we had a uh, integrate to elevate program that we started uh, in late April and ended in early June. And we went for six weeks and it was a way to integrate the incoming freshman or the eighth grade class. Uh, we would work out from nine to 10, 15 on a Sunday morning and we'd either do offensive install or defensive install. And then we did a weight room session on Monday nights from 7:45 to nine and on Thursday nights from 7:45 to nine. And we said, hey, at least make one of the weight sessions if you can make both great. But it was a great way to integrate those eighth graders. We had some of the senior kids in there leading it along with some coaches. And when those guys got to our summer workouts, I think we always had a jump or a head start on some of the other freshman teams just because we had those extra six weeks of kind of integration, uh, which really uh, helped our program a bunch. It's like a, almost like a boot camp situation. Yeah, but we, you know, we made it fun. We gave them T-shirts, and and they the money we raised from the program, we bought them new sweats and footballs, and you know, and and we made those uh, workouts enjoyable, uh, and and uh, so it was a good experience and exposure for them, and it it also kind of curbed the apprehension of uh, an incoming freshman has being around a Tim Tawa or an Elijah Molden or an Alex Forsythe guys who are you know, playing in major D1 football right now, maybe NFL guys. So it was a good way to kind of integrate the younger guys with the older guys. No, that's a good point. Kids grow up playing football in Westland and they want to be a Westland football player. And it's a really cool kind of environment that ends up kind of feeding itself once it gets going. And, you know, any program can have that once you've had some success for some sustained time. Uh, kids start growing up and they want to be part of that program. But then, like you mentioned, they become freshmen at some point. And they walk in the doors of the high school and it's like, oh, like <laughs> now I'm looking in the eyes of like my senior quarterback who, you know, and when I was in eighth grade, he was like a god to me. Like that guy was just winning state championships. And now I'm supposed to like I'm supposed to kind of compete with him. Like it's it's an it's yeah. a weird transition that kids have to make when they get to high school. And so, like you said, the integrate to elevate anything you can do to kind of ease that transition is really important. Yeah, no doubt. 
So here in Oregon, uh, we aren't cleared to start practices for football until February at this point. And the season will be basically six weeks long. Uh, Most schools are pretty much online remote learning entirely. And so right now we're in this weird spot in Oregon and a few other states across the country where high school sports are kind of in limbo. Uh, Are we going to get to play them? Are we not? You've dedicated, obviously, a huge portion of your life to football and then specifically to high school football and high school kids and building up kids and helping them become leaders. So if someone asked you like, hey, Chris, why should we have high school sports? What would you say? I would say the number one reason, and it's A-B, is their physical and mental health. Um, Imagine being a high school age kid, 15, 16, 17, 18, and sitting in front of a computer screen for hours on end, taking an hour and 20 hour, 30 minute classes, upper division, AP, uh, history, science, calc, whatever. And then you have no opportunity to go exercise, to go compete, to go be around your buddies, to go interact with your coaches, uh, to go get your physical uh, healthy exercise you need, and mostly your mental health. You know, I mean, I go, I've gone stir crazy at times, find myself going stir crazy because I'm not doing anything else other than working out and, and, and working on some football things during this time period. So uh, I know we're all faced with a lot of challenges, but I think the number one reason for the kids is. You know, they need to get outside, man. They need to breathe this fresh air. They need to go exercise. Childhood obesity has been such an issue for many, many years. And I think we've become a a much more healthy society maybe over the last five, six, eight years. So uh, and then competition. I mean, let's not underestimate the importance of competition, competition in life. at your job, uh, how you rank in your class based on your academics uh, in sports and such. So it's fun to go out and compete against your little brother, your little sister. Uh, your husband, your wife, your spouse, or your teammates or whoever. So I think competition is another huge aspect. And, you know, I have a group that's gone to high school at West Lynn. I had that special group in 2015, 2016, where we went to state championships two years in a row. And I have another 25 to 28 seniors in an extremely talented group that we would have a chance to play 14 games this year in football. When you play 14 games, you play for the state championship. Well, now with this group, I hope that we're going to get to play six. You know, I hope I'm going to get around these kids for six weeks in a competitive environment playing football. So I'm praying for that. So, you know, they've grown up like you talked about, Max, in Westland youth football since third or fourth grade. Going for this one moment to chase a championship, to win a ring, to win a blue trophy, to create that lifetime memory. And now we're hoping we get six games in this spring. So I think that's really important. Yeah, last year we had our, for baseball, we had the plug pulled. I think it was four days before, maybe three days before our first scheduled game. Yeah, you guys didn't have a, even have a season. Yeah, and so, yeah, we had two weeks of practice. So, you know, you spend all this off season, and, and then you talk with seniors, and we had some kids in our program who were, who were really good, and we had other kids in our program who had never played varsity baseball yet, and their senior year came up. It was their turn, and, yeah, everything shut down, and it, and so they didn't get to have it, and you just – it's a horrible feeling. I wouldn't wish it on any kids. And one of the things you mentioned is that idea of competition. We're in this weird place in, in some parts of society right now where it's like, no, life's not a competition. You're, but it's like, oh, my gosh, dude, every every part of life is a competition, whether you're competing against, you know, the guy in the mirror or somebody else for their spot in a football team or like you said, for, for academic things like there's so much in life that's that's competition based. And like you said, man, we're just we're in a spot right now where kids are sitting at home 
They're on a computer screen. And the last thing they're doing right now, they're not doing anything involving competition. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good statement, very fair statement. I think uh, in society, um, you know, it's a different day and age. Kids are raised much differently now. Parents, I think, really, really coddle their kids. Um, you know, coaches don't coach near as hard or near as stringent as they used to. Now, I'm probably quite a bit older than you. I graduated from high school in 1983, so uh, I'm dating myself. So, and that's, you know, that's fine. That's where we're at. Just imagine this world we're in now with social media and you have college coaches that are recruiting 17 and 18 year olds. And if they don't keep in contact with an 18 year old for three days, that 18 year old thinks that that University of Oregon, Oregon State fell out with them and isn't interested in recruiting them anymore, right? Yeah, it's true. Where we're back in the day, there were no cell phones. We might get a phone call on a twist dial phone. Uh, you know, emails were limited and such. So it's such a feel good now society that, you know, you have to have competition. Otherwise, everything's just warm and fuzzy. And is little Johnny or little Susie okay? And do they need their little warm cup of milk? And can I help them with their homework? Or can I, you know, make them lunch in the morning or do their laundry for them or, you know, whatever the uh, analogies or examples may be. I don't want to be insensitive here, but, you know, we need tough people. We need tough people in society, especially with the racism we have going on right now with what we have going on in our country, uh, with some of the violence that we've had with uh, the unrest, with the political unrest, all those things. You know, we need some tough people out there. And this, this, this generation, these young kids, these late teens and 20s, they're going to be the ones that carry our country into its future and define uh, what it's going to be. So we need to train some leaders and we need to train some thick skinned, tough people who can go out there and get stung and get their eyes water and, and compete and, and go dig in and, and fight the fight. So I think I think we as high school coaches are really important in teaching them those skills and they're not getting them maybe at home or uh, you know, they're getting really good academics and such, but we have to provide the other component. Yeah, it's it's part of an education and whether a, whatever sport you're playing, I think sports play a huge role in that. And, you know, right now with high school sports, there's, we're seeing lots of lots of different states able to make it happen. Everything from wrestling to basketball. And I'm hoping Oregon can follow suit with that uh, here this spring. And, you know, like you said, like at this point, we're hoping for six weeks. Like if, if, if you can give me six weeks with, with our guys to compete, I feel like we can achieve some of those things that you mentioned. And without it, I, I'm, I'm worried about, you know, what, you know, for some of these kids, one or two years worth of sports kind of gone in their development. And that's, that can't really be understated. I don't think. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I think, I think our, our uh, stance we need to take on, obviously we need to be educated. We need to be very careful. But there are uh, protocols and mechanisms and ways that we can practice safe. Um, and, you know, tell me what I can do. Don't tell me what I can't do. And we'll do it right. You know, we'll do it safely. We'll mask up. We'll make sure we practice social distancing. I think uh, 38 states out of 50 in the country did contact sports uh, in the fall. 45 states out of 50 in the country played sports this fall. So, and they were able to do it uh, safely and with limited COVID exposures and no serious uh, side effects or deaths or any severely ill kids that we've heard about through the studies that have been done uh, uh, throughout the country. So there's ways to do it. I understand our COVID numbers are high in Oregon and in the Northwest, but, you know, I think that our kids probably aren't going to go back to school 
uh, in 2020 uh, school year. And so we might be able to have our own uh, uh, bubbles, if you will. You know, if we have a high school football going on or lacrosse or girls basketball or baseball or whatever, we might be able to have our own bubbles with our coaches and it might serve a, a better purpose for us you know, being able to provide these seniors with lifelong lasting memories by getting to play uh, sports their senior year. That's one thing I wanted to get to as well is, you know, during this time, we've we've had a chance to reflect and could certainly learn a lot about ourselves. And, you know, as a coach, I've had a lot more time to think through some of the things that we do in practices and games and, and other things to help prepare our players because I have, you know, not having access to the players that, you know, I don't have little, little else to think about during the times we normally would be working out. Now it's like, well, yeah. what can I fill this time with? So, you've had this time to sit back and reflect a little bit more than normal. Is there anything glaring that jumped out at you that you're going to change or maybe do differently uh, whenever you're able to get back with, with a football season again? I think the number one thing, Max, is I just want to make sure that these kids, however much time we get to spend with them, have the best experience of their life. Uh, I shot a group text out to our guys this morning, just kind of uh, rehashing what the OSAA came up with in terms of uh, starting practice for football February 8th and the first game being March 1st. And I think the last game, April 4th or April 5th, something like that. So, I mean, it's going to go quick, you know. So I think the main thing I've really focused on is, you know, obviously we we want to win. We want to be successful. We want to do well. But but for those 25 or 28 seniors that I that I have, that we have as a coaching staff, you know, it is our number one job to make sure they have an incredible experience, to make sure they laugh, to make sure they enjoy each other. Because a lot of them have grown up with their buddies since third and fourth grade uh, in this community. So that's really the main thing I focused on is, hey, let's make sure that they have a tremendous experience. Uh, because, you know, some of my best memories in sports period were my senior year in high school. And I, I'm 55 years old now. So I want them to have those same memories. So really just creating an incredible experience for them, a competitive experience, but one that's fun and they enjoy practice. And, you know, we do some unique uh, out of the box, fun things. Uh, that's really kind of been my focus. My, my last thing for you is I just wanted to ask you, you've, you've obviously been entrenched in football for quite some time and you, you really, you know, coaching takes a lot of time. Uh, there's, there's no way around it, especially if you want to have a successful program. You know, you mentioned also, you know, the, the youth side of it too is something I think some people from the outside overlook is we, we spend a ton of time, not just with our high school kids, but you know, our high school kids graduate and they get replaced and building a youth program is a huge part of, of our responsibilities. So you spend a ton of time coaching. How do you balance being present for your family while also being the best kind of coach that you can be? Well, that's a, that's another great question. I think, uh, I think at times I've done really well at that and probably at times I've, I've failed and haven't done great at that. Uh, you know, this last year was a good example. You know, my wife, uh, Lori is a, a sweetheart and, and she lives down in Eugene. We have a place down in Eugene. And then I was coaching up at West Lynn. So we were commuting. And she works for the city of Eugene down there. And so she would come up on Thursday nights after work. We'd watch the sub varsity freshman or JV game, home game. Then we'd have our game Friday night. Then she'd drive back down to Eugene and I'd drive back after films. We'd go to church on Sunday and then I'd drive back up Monday to West Lynn. So, and then right after our season last year, I was offensive coordinator for the XFL Houston Roughnecks. So I went in December after our high school season was done to Houston until uh, March 10th or 12th uh, when COVID hit. So I haven't been the most present uh, with her uh, the last 
you know, a year or so or the last several months. So that's kind of taken its toll and been tough. But I think with my kids, my kids are 26 and 25, uh, Dylan and Jesse, I have a son and a daughter. And I think one thing with them is I've just always, you know, they always know I'm, I'm there for them. Uh, I text them pretty much about every day, you know, we're talking and keeping in contact. And, you know, I think with young families, as long as the wife or the partner, uh, you know, they're in it together. I mean, you're in it together. You're a high school coach, you're a high school teacher. I'm sure your wife is fully on board and however many kids you have, your young son, you know, you really grow up around South Salem Saxon baseball and the sports and the community and athletics. So I think it's just all inclusive. I think it's a great environment for kids to be involved in. It's, it's good for a husband or a wife to be involved in. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've got a strong faith in the good Lord. So the church is important to me. I think as long as you have that good spirituality balance, uh, it's a good balance for coaching and, and I'm just very passionate about football and kids and and paying it forward and being a good role model and a good mentor. So that's kind of what drives me. I love it, Coach. There's a lot of good stuff in there that people can take away. Thanks for being a guinea pig in your career and lending your, your head and experiences to help us figure concussions out. And glad you were able to retire and you seem to be living a wonderful life. And now you're affecting high school kids and you have been for some time. And I hope at some point the XFL can get started back up because I, I can't speak for everybody, but I enjoyed what little we got of it. Well, I appreciate that. I think hopefully it'll, the, the, the rock, Dwayne uh, Rock Johnson will tee it back up in 2020, <laughs> 2022, I think. So that's the plan. But thanks for having me, Max. You do an awesome job on your uh, podcast here. And, and uh, the questions were awesome. And best of luck to the Saxon down there. And appreciate you uh, having me on. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, man. Take care. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. As always, you can find the High School Coaches Club by going to our website, www.highschoolcoachesclub.com. In addition to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at HS Coaches Club. Coaches, trainers, administrators, uh, even players uh, can all provide us with stories that, that help us improve ourselves and the lives of our athletes, too. So uh, here's the deal, everyone. Um, if you know somebody who'd make for an awesome guest here on the podcast, even if that somebody is you, uh, please email me at highschoolcoachesclub at gmail.com. Um, coaches, trainers, administrators, players of seriously any sport uh, at the high school level. Uh, if you've got something or you know somebody who's got something to offer up to the rest of us, um, please reach out to me. That's the best way to kind of help this community grow. Um, lastly, you can always reach out to me personally, and this is really the fastest way to get a response because I spend probably far too much time there. Um, on Twitter, uh, my handle is at Mr. Max Price. Uh, so, hey, I appreciate you being a part of the High School Coaches Club. Uh, honored that you tuned in and, and spent some of your time here with us. Uh, so thank you for that. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you. <laughs>